Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, a podcast that avoids all that chatter at the beginning of each episode by letting you know from the start what it's all about. Stop Christian Nationalism. This podcast brings news about Christian nationalist abuses and suggestions for how to join the activist movement to resist the spread of Christian nationalism. Now, why do we want to stop Christian nationalism? All that we want is an America in which everybody has the freedom to live according to their individual conscience, and no religion has seized the power of government in order to benefit itself. Christian nationalism is the most rapidly growing form of Christianity in the United States. Christian nationalism is a political religion centered around the belief that the United States was intended by the Christian God to be a Christian nation with Christians in control. Christian nationalists believe that Christians in America deserve special rights, including big government funding for their churches and schools of religious indoctrination. Christian nationalists aim to use the power of big government to coerce and force people to convert to Christianity. They aim to impose cruel and unforgiving Christian laws on all Americans, whether people like it or not, whether people are Christians or not. So, in the news this week, Donald Trump took to the podium at a political rally in Tampa, Florida, and shouted to an audience that, quote, Americans kneel to God and to God alone, unquote. The crowd at the rally roared with applause. This gathering was organized by Turning Point USA. That's a Christian nationalist organization that has dedicated itself to the cause of converting Christian churches across America into political machines that service the ambitions of the Republican Party. Turning Point USA was founded by Charlie Kirk, who received an honorary degree from the Christian Nationalist Liberty University, which in turn was founded by Jerry Falwell, a right-wing preacher who sought to make American democracy subservient to Christian power. Charlie Kirk has signaled that his work with Turning Point USA is just one part of a shadowy Christian nationalist movement called the Seven Mountains Mandate. Followers of the Seven Mountains Mandate believe that the evangelical leaders Francis Schaeffer, Lauren Cunningham, and Bill Bright received an actual direct message from the Christian God commanding them to organize Christians to take over seven aspects of American society in order to bring about the end of the world. Under the election of Donald Trump in 2016, Charlie Kirk declared, quote, Finally, we have a president that understands the seven mountains. So, Charlie Kirk worked with Jerry Falwell's son, Jerry Falwell Jr., to create the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty, 
This Falkirk Center hosted extremist Christian nationalists such as John MacArthur, who declared that, quote, a real Christian, unquote, cannot vote for Democrats because the Democratic Party is blasphemous. In founding the center, Kirk declared that, quote, it's time we went on offensive to stand up for the church in America, unquote. So what does it look like for Christian nationalists to go on offense on behalf of Christianity? Well, in January 2021, Turning Point USA became involved in the Christian nationalist attempt to violently overthrow American democracy. Charlie Charlie Kirk bragged that Turning Point was sending 80 buses to Washington, D.C. to fight, those were his words, to fight in the deadly attack against Congress on January 6th. In the days leading up to the January 6th insurrection, Kirk began to spread the word that a new civil war was about to begin on behalf of Donald Trump. Quote, I was getting 500 emails a minute calling for civil war, unquote. That's what Charlie Kirk announced, encouraging Turning Point's followers onward into violent revolution and attack against the U.S. Congress. Now, the bragging of Turning Point USA turned out to be mostly bluster. In truth, the Christian nationalist organization was only able to muster seven buses of Christian zealots to join the day's violence, rather than the 80 that Kirk had promised. In spite of Turning Point USA's dramatic failure to send enough Christian nationalists to Washington, D.C. to make the attempted coup d'etat work, Donald Trump was happy to appear at the group's rally this week, claiming that, quote, I was the most persecuted person in the history of our country, unquote. Now, in competition with Donald Trump for the position of the most persecuted person in the history of the United States are people who were kept as slaves by Christian plantation owners in the South and women who were denied the right to vote by Christian leaders because, as John Williams, the reverend of the St. Barnabas Episcopal Church declared, quote, God meant for women to reign over home, and most good women reject politics because woman suffrage will destroy society. Unquote. People who were born with millions of dollars in wealth, like Donald Trump, may believe that they don't have to kneel to anyone other than their God. They're privileged in that way. Most people in the United States have plenty of kneeling to do just to get through the day. People like Donald Trump, Mark Kirk, and Jerry Falwell Jr. coast through life because they have the power to make other people kneel to them. They've gotten used to that power, and they feel entitled to it. But we should never forget that they achieve that power on the backs of others. 
the ideology of Christian nationalism upholds the privileges of heterosexual, cisgendered, white Christian men by denigrating women, people of color, LGBTQ plus Americans, and non-Christians. Christian nationalist campaigns against these groups don't stop with mere rhetoric either. They're using violence, intimidation, and corrupted systems of power to deny essential liberty to entire categories of people. These tactics ought to remind us of earlier right-wing organizations that exploited bigotry to gain political domination. The extent of the extremist violence associated with Turning Point USA was revealed this week when a group of American Nazis showed up at the group's event, right outside of the hall in which Donald Trump was calling on Americans to fall on their knees to the Christian God, a group of his supporters gathered, holding flags and signs featuring the Nazi swastika wearing skeletal face masks to conceal their identities. Turning Point USA may not be officially affiliated with Nazis, but the organization's ideology has significant overlap with Nazi ideology. It promotes nationalism, a nativist agenda, white supremacist ideas. It targets LGBTQ plus people, excludes Judaism and other religions from its network, and advocates for the reduction of civil liberties. There have been many who have noted commonalities between Donald Trump and Adolf Hitler. Of course, Christian nationalism and Nazi ideology are not absolutely identical. That's because we're not living in 1930s Germany. The similarities are strong enough, however, to be frightening. The presence of actual Nazis with swastikas at this Christian nationalist event gives special meaning to Donald Trump's talk about who Americans kneel to. Trump says that Americans kneel to nobody but his God, but what that actually means is becoming disturbingly clear. Nobody ever actually sees this Christian God after all. So when Christian nationalists talk about what their God wants, they're actually talking about what they want. When Christian nationalists shout about America kneeling to their God, what they're actually interested in is forcing Americans to kneel to them. This is not hyperbole. It's what Christian nationalists tell us that they plan to do. Listen to Lauren Vitsky, a Christian nationalist leader who was on the Republican Party's candidate for governor uh, on the ballot in Delaware in 2020. And she made her movement's intentions quite plain. She recently wrote on Twitter, Quote, we are a Christian nation founded by Christians, and yes, we should legislate our faith on you. If you don't like it, get out. Unquote. That's the Republican Party's nominee for governor of Delaware. 
Now listen to Christian nationalist leader Nick Fuentes. Some might say everybody's entitled to their own opinion and every everybody can express their own religion and so people can have their own countries and I would agree with that if Christianity weren't true but we know that it is and so if that's the case why should other countries be allowed to be wrong why why should countries persist why should there be governments and peoples in a world where they want to be wrong Uh, We have all these countries that are going to just empty out into hell when they go away. Uh, These countries are just places where the floor opens up and everybody falls into hell and they die. Uh, no, No, I don't actually think that's a good idea at all. So we'll start with America. I think America is a good start. We're going to reclaim America for Christ, retake America for Christians. And if people have a problem with that, they can, you know, they can stay and live under it or they can go somewhere else where they have different rules. And then we're going to follow you to those countries and we're going to make those countries the same way. And you are going to become a Christian. These words from Nick Fuentes should remind Americans that... What Christian nationalists want is far from the democratic norms that we have come to take for granted. Under the Christian nationalist regime that Fuentes is arguing for, no one will have the right to refuse conversion to Christianity. His argument comes from the belief that Christianity is obviously true and good. From that premise, he concludes that it is morally wrong to allow people to express their own opinions. He wants to create a global government that issues Christian edicts that everyone on the planet must not only obey, but must believe. If that is not enough to frighten you into action, listen to Andrew Torba, a Christian nationalist who was hired to work on Doug Mastriano's campaign for governor of Pennsylvania this year. He warned that, quote, we are taking back this country for the glory of God and there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop us. Every knee will bow, yours included, unquote. Now, there's that language of kneeling once again. Some people like to suppose that prayer is an inherently peaceful act, but these are not words of peace and respect. These are the words of fascists who plan to impose a totalitarian Christian regime after they destroy America's secular democracy. For the record, there are more than a hundred million non-Christians in the United States. That's over a hundred million Americans who choose not to kneel to the Christian God in defiance of the claims of Christian nationalists to speak for all Americans. When Donald Trump says that Americans kneel to God and to God alone, he's just plain wrong. I want to be clear about what Andrew Torba is up to here as he's working on the campaign of Doug Mastriano for the governor of Pennsylvania. It might be easy to suppose if you haven't done your research into Andrew Torba's extensive work with Christian nationalism that his remarks 
about forcing non-Christians to bow their knees in subservience to Christianity were just some kind of gaffe, merely a one-time misstatement. So let's clear up that misconception. Andrew Torba speaks repeatedly and at great length about what Christian nationalists in the Republican Party are planning to do. Here, for example, is what Torba said this month about the work of a Christian nationalist member of Congress, U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene is also coming under attack. Uh, you know, she is getting getting loud with uh, you know the explicit Christian nationalism, and I love to see it. This is great stuff. So on the Cat Turd podcast, she said the GOP is the party of Christian nationalism and that Christian nationalist policies serve everyone. She's absolutely correct. Okay. Me loving my neighbor is wanting my neighbor to be ruled by wise, biblical Christian men. Why? Well, look at the fruits. Look at the fruits of what happens when we allow pagans, Jews, uh, non-believers, atheists to run our country. Okay, what happens? What is the fruit of that? Well, the fruit of that is massive inflation, a border invasion, billions and billions of dollars being sent to foreign countries, uh, you know, a a suicide epidemic in this country, uh, deaths of despair, um, fentanyl deaths skyrocketing, uh, and just this laundry list of stuff. Okay, so this is what happens when non-believers are in positions of power and run our government. What happens when Christians are in positions of power and run our government and run our media and run our education system? Well, you get what we've seen in the United States of America and across Europe, well, across Europe for thousands of years, across America for, you know, the first uh, 200 years or so uh, of of our founding of this nation, uh, which is the fruit of exceptionalism and of freedom and of liberty and of wealth. That is what happens when you have biblical, wise, Christian, biblical leadership that is uh, is running the country. It benefits everybody, okay? This is just the reality of the situation. So me loving my neighbor is wanting my neighbor to be ruled by Christians, biblical, wise Christians. These comments by Doug Mastriano's campaign aide, Andrew Torba, are a great example of the way that Christian nationalists use positive-sounding Christian phrases to conceal a cruel authoritarian agenda. Who, for example, could argue against loving your neighbor? Well, in this speech, Andrew Torba reveals what the Christian nationalist definition of loving your neighbor really is. In Christian nationalism, loving your neighbor means wanting the United States to become a Christian theocratic dictatorship. In Torba's vision of a Christian nationalist government, women will not be allowed to vote or hold positions of government power, will be ruled by wise biblical Christian men, not women. Men only will be allowed to vote and work in the government under Torba's Christian nationalism. These are Torba's own words. Torba plans to outlaw non-Christians from voting and from serving in the government too. 
In order to achieve that, Torba will have to repeal the Constitution of the United States of America because the core of the Constitution, not just the First Amendment, explicitly bans religious tests for public office. So loving your neighbor for Torba includes destroying your constitutional rights. Loving your neighbor under Christian nationalism also means having a return to slavery. Slavery is a really common theme in Christian nationalist harangues. They just can't seem to stay away from it. When Andrew Torba talks about the fruit of exceptionalism and wealth experienced during the first generations of the United States, we need to remember what was actually happening in the country at that time. People were held in captivity as slaves, with their children and their children's children handed down as heirlooms by wealthy economic elites. Torba doesn't blink an eye when he refers to an era in American history when slavery was commonplace, as if it was a wonderful time. It benefits everybody, Torba says, with a straight face, because he doesn't view people of African ancestry as human. What could justify this harsh discrimination under the rule of a white male Christian minority? Andrew Torba says that a Christian nationalist dictatorship is justified because pagans, atheists, and other non-believers are in charge of the federal government. Now just pause for a minute and think about this claim. Since when are pagans in control of the United States? Where are these non-believers in control of the federal government that Torba is talking about? Joseph Biden is not a pagan, or a Jew, or a non-believer. The President of the United States is a Christian, and has been for his entire life. The leaders of both houses of Congress are Christians. The Christian nationalist block of justices that control the Supreme Court are all Christians. For the record, there has never been a pagan or an atheist president. Never. There has never been a non-Christian president or Speaker of the House or Senate Majority Leader. There has never in the entire history of the United States ever been a single non-religious American who has been allowed to be a justice on the Supreme Court of the United States. And that is not because there aren't very many non-religious Americans. No, non-religious Americans currently are 30% of the U.S. population, and they have never, ever been represented in congressional leadership in the White House or on the Supreme Court. Andrew Torba's idea that non-Christians control the government of the United States is a fantasy. There isn't a single position in the U.S. government that has not been occupied predominantly by Christians. If you don't like what the U.S. federal government has been doing, you can't blame atheists or religious minorities for it. It's Christians who control the federal government and state government in every single one of the 50 states. When there's a problem in American government, blame the Christians because they are the ones in charge. 
and they have refused to share power with anyone else. So, when it comes to non-Christians, Andrew Torba has particular animosity toward one population in particular. He despises American Jews. Here's what Torba had to say this week in response to criticism from a Jewish member of the Anti-Defamation League. This is a Christian nation. Christians outnumber you by a lot, a lot. And we're not going to listen to 2%. You represent 2% of the country, okay? We're not bending the knee to the 2% anymore. The 98% of the rest of us, you know, 70, 75% of which are Christians, self-identifying Christians, we're not taking it anymore, bud. We are taking back our culture. We're taking back our country. We're taking back our government. So uh, deal with it. You know, there's nothing you can do to stop us because what has uh, been set into motion, it's uh, it's snowballing now, right? It's no, We have Marjorie Taylor Greene openly saying that she's a Christian nationalist. We have Matt Gates kind of uh, flirting with it a little bit today with his, his tweet on Christian nationalism. Uh, you know, we have Paul Gosar. We have, like, people in Congress right now, members of Congress right now, who are openly, openly saying that they're Christian nationalists. Uh, we have multiple candidates for governor who won their primaries in a landslide, uh, are winning in the polling right now, and are going to win the governorships of multiple states who are Christian nationalists. We have uh, officials not only at the state level, not only at the federal level, but also at the local level. People who are running for school boards, people, uh, Christian nationalists who are running for school boards. And by Christian nationalists, I mean like concerned Christian parents who are done, who are done, done with this, done, done being controlled uh, and being told what we're allowed to do in our own country by a 2% minority or by people who hate our biblical worldview, hate our Christ, hate our Lord and Savior. Done. It's over. So you better deal with it. Um, you can you can demonize me individually. Uh, you can try and attack me, um, but guess what? You know I am just one of uh, hundreds of millions of Christians in this country, bud. So uh, guess what? It's inevitable. Sorry. Who is this 98% of America that Andrew Torba claims to speak for? They're not all Christian nationalists. You heard there how quickly Torba backed off the claim that 98% of Americans are Christian nationalists like himself. He corrected himself and said that Christian nationalists are 75%. And then he said, well, just 70%. The actual number is much lower. Christians now are only 60% of the American population. That's a slim majority, but then not all Christians are Christian nationalists. A majority of American Christians are Christian nationalists, but perhaps only 60%. And 60% of 60% of the population is a minority. Although Christians are a majority in the United States and enjoy all sorts of special privileges, Christian nationalists are in the minority. Facts, however, are not a forte of Christian nationalists. So listen to Torba there. Make threats against American Jews. 
the reviled 2% of the population. The Christian nationalists, Torba says, are going to take freedom away from Jews living under Christian nationalism. And if you haven't noticed it yet, Andrew Torba makes it hard to ignore this. Christian nationalism is really nothing more than Nazi ideology with an American face. Torba's deranged claim that the United States is secretly controlled by Jews is just recycled Nazi propaganda. It's as false now as it was in the 1930s and 1940s. Nazi Christian nationalists are not just people on the fringe of the Republican Party either. Doug Mastriano, the guy who employs Andrew Torba, is a Christian nationalist, and he is the Republican Party's candidate for governor of Pennsylvania. This week, it was revealed that Doug Mastriano has instituted a Christians-only policy for media access to his campaign. Torba said, quote, My policy is not to conduct interviews with reporters who aren't Christian or with outlets who aren't Christian. And Doug has a very similar media strategy where he does not do interviews with these people. He does not talk to these people. He does not give press access to these people. These people are dishonest. They're liars. They're a den of vipers, and they want to destroy you. Unquote. A den of vipers? Well, this is Christian language straight out of the mouth of Jesus, who was, like Andrew Torba and Doug Mastriano, often unable to tolerate any criticism. You brood of vipers, Torba's Messiah screamed at his critics. How can you who are evil say anything good? Does that sound familiar? Andrew Torba is right about one thing. Christian nationalism is rife in the halls of Congress, and not just in the offices of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. U.S. Representative Louis Gohmert, a Republican Party politician from Texas, brought his Christian nationalism to the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives this week in a self-contradictory speech that insisted that if America can't be a country that is ruled by Christians alone, then it doesn't deserve the legal protections established by the Constitution. Here's what Representative Gohmert threatened non-Christians with. This Constitution is intended for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the governing of any other. So we're either going to have to get rid of all of our constitutional rights. We can't even allow freedom of assembly or speech, much less Second Amendment, if we're not going to teach moral right and wrong. And what are we finding? We're finding in our schools, of course, they're not teaching the Ten Commandments. Congressman Louis Gohmert's speech, given on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives, seeks to overturn the bedrock of constitutional law in the United States. Representative Gohmert says that only religious people should have constitutional rights. 
but the Constitution states that it applies to all people within the borders and jurisdiction of the United States. As a Christian nationalist, Louis Gohmert threatens that if Americans refuse to be Christians and teach the Ten Commandments, all our constitutional rights will have to be taken away. His reasoning is that only religious people are good people, and only good people deserve to live in freedom. Well, the obvious trouble with Gohmert's attempt at logic is that the very constitutional rights he threatens to take away guarantee protection from government establishment of religion and protection of the people to make their own choices about religion. So it just doesn't make any sense to say that people should only be allowed to have freedom of religion unless they first agree to obey the government's command that they be religious. Well, it doesn't make sense, but this is the broken thinking that's at the heart of Christian nationalism. Christian nationalists say that America is great and point to America's freedoms as evidence of that. And then, without even thinking twice about it, Christian nationalists demand that freedom of Americans to make their own choices about religion be destroyed. Someone attempting to appease the Christian nationalists might object at this point. Well, what about the Ten Commandments? Couldn't all Americans just agree to accept those just to get along and make nice with the Christian nationalists? The Ten Commandments just tell us to, you know, not kill people and not steal. And, um, oh yeah, what else do those Ten Commandments say? It is difficult to remember exactly what the Ten Commandments say because not all versions of Christianity have the same exact version of the Ten Commandments. Now, that inconsistency is awfully strange given that the Ten Commandments were supposedly handed down word for word in stone tablets from an all-powerful God. Well... The thing is that nearly half of the Ten Commandments are nothing more than commands that people obey religious authority. They demand that there be only one worship of one God, and that no idols be worshipped, and that the name of the one God that is allowed must not be blasphemed. They demand that religious rituals must be followed. The Ten Commandments actually are firmly opposed to freedom of religion. Among the other demands from the Ten Commandments that uh, people must not be envious of a neighbor's slaves. Did you know that that was part of the Ten Commandments? It's a command uh, that you must not covet your neighbor's slaves. Now, nowhere do the Ten Commandments say that people shouldn't own other people as slaves. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Instead, the Ten Commandments say that if your neighbors have slaves, you shouldn't be jealous about it. The truth is that the Christian Bible is a pro-slavery document in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, from Andrew Torba to the Ten Commandments, slavery is a disturbing theme that's repeated in Christian nationalism. Now, some people might not like to hear about this, pro-slavery, the 
foundations in Christianity because the mere suggestion violates their religious belief in Christianity as a religion of pure goodness. That brings us to an essential point in understanding Christian nationalism. And we should be really clear about this. Yes, Christian nationalism is a form of Christianity. Now, in recent days, there has been a flurry of panicked response by Christian preachers and believers who are concerned that the extreme hatred and violence of um, Christian nationalism is driving people away from Christianity in general. And they do have real cause for concern. The number of Americans attending Christian churches has dropped sharply ever since the election of Donald Trump, and it hasn't gone up since Trump left office. This decline in American Christianity can't just be blamed on the influence of Donald Trump himself. Self-identification as Christian has been declining in the United States for the last two decades as cases of church corruption and rampant trends of sexual attacks against children by preachers and priests of many different Christian denominations have been exposed. The spread of Christian nationalism through America's churches has only increased this long-term decline of Christianity. So, in an attempt to separate Christianity from Christian nationalism, Christian religious leaders have begun to claim that Christianity cannot be associated with Christian nationalism. No, they claim that Christian nationalism is not part of Christianity at all. So, for example, Reverend Chuck Curry in Chicago writes that, quote, Christian nationalism is a racist ideology incompatible with Christianity, unquote. Christian minister Stephen Simpson writes that, quote, Christian nationalism is a heresy and not compatible with the gospel of the kingdom of God, unquote. Sarah Robinson, preacher at the Audubon Park Church down in Florida, says, quote, the ideas of Christian nationalism, they are twisted versions that are rejected, in fact, versions of what Christianity is really all about, unquote. Samuel Perry, who studies the sociology of religion, translates this position into academic language. He said in a recent conversation with another sociologist, quote, white Christian nationalism could be understood as a sort of imposter Christianity that uses evangelical language to cloak ethnocentric and nationalist loyalties, unquote. An imposter Christianity. Hmm. An imposter is someone who comes along and adopts someone else's personality, adopts their identity, pretending to be someone that they know they aren't. Christian nationalists are not people coming from the outside of Christianity, though. They're not Buddhist saboteurs who were trained by some foreign government to parachute into the United States on a secret mission to destroy American Christianity. 
No, Christian nationalists almost always have been Christians their entire lives. They were born into Christian families and grew up identifying as Christian, going to church often, uh, praying, quoting Bible scriptures, participating in Christian community activities. They are not pretending to be Christians. They're not imposters. Now, Perhaps what Professor Perry means to say is that Christian nationalism is uh, some kind of ideological imposter, um, a way of thinking that has crept into genuine Christianity and implanted itself there as some kind of parasite growing strong from the lifeblood of true Christianity, uh, but never really being part of that organism. And that would be a really creative metaphor, but inapt because Christianity is really not like a biological organism. It doesn't have a central nervous system or a unitary cardiovascular system. There's no equivalent of any DNA in Christianity, any universal code that's pure and the same in every cell of the body, defining what a Christian is and what it isn't. There are many different versions of that. And the truth is that Christians have always argued with each other about what counts as real Christianity and what doesn't. They've never agreed. It could be said that a central part of Christian theology is to define true Christianity by casting out other people who are depicted as fake Christians. Every Christian group there is has been criticized as being fake Christianity. So who has the right to decide who is a real Christian and who's a fake Christian? Individual Christians seem to take on this responsibility all the time. Evangelicals like to talk about Christians and Catholics as if Catholics belong to a totally separate religion and aren't Christian at all. Some Christians say Mormons don't count as Christians, but the Mormons sure believe that they are. Who's right? We've got liberal Christians taking on the power to say that they know who's a real Christian and who isn't. They're trying to ideologically excommunicate Christian nationalism from Christianity, like a scapegoat sent off into the desert to die, a ritual sacrifice that purifies the village of what they suppose to be true Christianity. In reality, though, magical rituals can't simply cleanse religious communities of their problems. And no gods or messiahs have appeared in the sky to proclaim what true Christianity is and what it isn't. So let's pay attention to the facts at hand instead. The plain fact is that Christian nationalists identify as Christians. They are involved in well-established Christian organizations that have been recognized as Christian for a very long time. There is really no controversy about this. Christian nationalists are Christians. Now, I understand where Christians who deny Christian nationalism's part in Christianity are coming from. They mean well. It's great that they're speaking out against Christian nationalism. However, an effective movement against Christian nationalism needs to be based in reality, not in what we wish were true. 
Chrissy Stroop is a former right-wing evangelical who was raised to believe in many of the tenets of Christian nationalism. And she writes that, quote, authoritarian Christianity is not fake, and sometimes religion is about power and control. Christianity isn't always or inherently benign, unquote. Stroop warns that, quote, Christian is not a synonym for good, and that, quote, using Christian as a synonym for good reinforces Christian supremacy in our society, unquote. This last point is especially important. When progressive Christians declare that Christian nationalists are not Christians because they're not good people, they are actually providing rhetorical coverage to Christian nationalists. It's a problem when people begin their resistance against Christian nationalism with the presumption that Christianity is by definition good. Along with this presumption comes the implication that people who are not Christian are by definition refusing to go along with something good. That makes non-Christians the problem. People who argue that Christian nationalists are non-Christian because they're bad are falling right along with the Christian nationalist premise that non-Christians are bad people and need to be brought back into the proper faith. Christian nationalists agree with Christian progressives who assert that Christianity stands for what's right and good in the world. They just disagree about what's right and good. Ironically, the belief in Christianity's inherent goodness has led Christians to do horrible things over and over again. The wars of Christian against Christian in Europe were motivated by the sincere belief that Catholicism was right and Protestant Christianity was wrong, fighting bloody battles against people who believed the opposite, that Protestant Christianity was the true and good Christianity, and Catholic Christianity was in error and evil. Protestants fought and killed Protestants, too. Colonial Christians who massacred Native Americans did so out of the belief that Christianity was inherently good and that non-Christians must therefore be inherently evil. Christians who enslaved Africans were motivated by their belief in inherent Christian goodness, preaching what they were doing for enslaved Africans was a favor, bringing them into lovely Christian civilization. This same belief that Christianity is the same thing as goodness is a synonym for what's good motivated the Catholic Church in Canada to beat, to sexually assault, and to murder generation after generation of children from indigenous communities at church-run residential schools. These Christian residential schools took huge numbers of children from their own homes without permission from their parents and literally tortured those children in an attempt to convert them into obedient Christians. 
huge numbers of unmarked graves at these Christian residential schools have been discovered where the children killed by Christian teachers and priests were disposed of. The horrific Canadian residential school program was motivated by the belief that Christianity is morally good. And therefore, non-Christian children had to be converted to Christianity by any means necessary. That's a really cruel twist. But the belief that Christianity is inherently good has consistently motivated Christian-controlled governments to do terrible things. The evidence from history is that throughout the centuries, Christianity has been a force for harm on a massive scale over and over again. The claim that Christian nationalists couldn't possibly be real Christians because Christianity is about peace and love, well, that just doesn't match the facts. More often than not, Christianity is about violence and hate. Christian nationalists are just what a person would expect to see when the wall between church and state is broken down. That's why the authors of the Constitution sought to protect American democracy from the influence of religion. Let's be clear about this. Not all Christians are Christian nationalists. In the United States of America, however, Christian nationalism is the only form of Christianity that is experiencing consistent growth. Non-nationalist sects of Christianity are shrinking as Christian nationalism spreads. The majority of American Christian voters voted for Donald Trump's Christian nationalism both in 2016 and in 2020. The strong role of Christian nationalism within Christianity in America is something that would be foolish for us to ignore. But it's not just about what we believe and what we know and what we think. By now, you have a pretty good idea of what's at stake when it comes to Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is taking over American Christianity and the Republican Party. And in the 2022 midterm congressional elections, Christian nationalists are projected to make big gains, not just in the U.S. House and Senate, but in state legislatures, too. So the question is, that's really important. What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? The election result that has been predicted is not fate. They say that the Christian nationalists are going to gain seats, but it doesn't have to be that way. Prophecy is bogus. Nobody knows the future. Predictions show what is likely to happen unless things change. And that means it is your job, your job, to get out there and make change happen. At the end of every episode of Stop Christian Nationalism, I'm going to share one piece of action that you can take to resist Christian nationalism. Thinking the right things accomplishes nothing on its own. You need to manifest your thoughts in practical form. In these circumstances, if you are 18 
years or older, it is essential that you vote. Now, this sounds really old-fashioned, I know. It sounds corny, but it's true. Voting is at the heart of every intelligent activist movement. Now, you're going to have some people try to convince you that voting is counterproductive. Uh, One of their favorite sayings is, don't vote, it'll only encourage them. Yeah, well, don't accept those arguments without critically examining them. For example, anti-voting voices say that voting will encourage them. But who does them refer to? The people who will be encouraged by your vote will be the people that you vote for. That's the point. If you don't vote, the people who will be encouraged will be the people whose ideas you oppose. The majority of Americans oppose Christian nationalism. That's why Christian nationalists in the Republican Party are working so hard to make it more difficult to vote. Here's a general principle I think we can follow. Pay attention to what the Christian nationalists are trying to stop you from doing and do more of that. Christian nationalists want you not to vote. So you know what to do. Vote. Of course, election day is months away. You can only vote once. Nonetheless, you can take action in the election today to make sure that your vote and your voice count. First of all, make sure that you're registered to vote. Uh, Double check with your county board of elections. Second, educate yourself about the election. Make sure that you know who's going to be on the ballot and what their agenda is. Don't just learn about the big congressional elections. Check out state and local elections, too. Never forget that big-name politicians often get their start in local government. Christian nationalists can use local governments to impose their harsh religious agenda in a way that often evades public oversight. Third, spread the word. Let your friends and family know about the candidates you favor and encourage them to vote. But do this selectively. If you know that your Uncle Joe watches Fox News and attends an evangelical church, well, you don't need to remind him that Election Day is rolling around. If you're ambitious, you can go further than this. You can expand your campaigning beyond your immediate circle of friends and family. Voter information is public information, and your board of elections can provide you with the address and contact information for every voter in your county. This data is broken down according to political party affiliation, so you can identify which neighbors are registered to vote as Democrats, and you can see which of them have not been voting in every election. And then on election day, you can go over and knock on these neighbors' doors, and you can remind them in person how important it is to vote. You can even offer to give them a ride in your car to their designated polling station. Give them a bottle of water to stand there. And when you help another person who agrees with you, it's like you have two votes. 
We have the numbers to stop Christian nationalism. All it takes is for each one of us to stand up and do our part, and we can restore American freedom. Now, unfortunately, Christian nationalists have been organizing for decades. We can catch up, but they are ahead of us. So this podcast, Stop Christian Nationalism, will be back next week with more news about the latest activities of Christian nationalists and with more information about ways that you can join the resistance against Christian nationalism. Hey, thanks for listening. Learn more at StopChristianNationalism.com. Stop